This is the Unrationed Podcast. My name is Evan Chastine. Josh Randall. I'm Tony Albrecht. And we're coming at you with episode, I'm not sure. I should probably look that up before we record. Uh, But the way we start every episode is with wild moments. So, Tony, what is your wild moment from the week? We went down to Toronto over the weekend and took the kids to the aquarium there. And in a way, it, it feels weird to talk about an aquarium as a wild moment since an aquarium is by definition, not wild. Uh, Seville, I asked a question while we were in there. You know, they've got one of those tunnels where you walk through and then you know everything's above you and it's great. And they've got all these sharks, these like 15 foot sharks and huge stingrays and the green sawfish, which was a fish that I had never heard of, but it's like this 20 foot long thing that has like this five foot saw mouth. Um, see, I mean, it just, it is a wild experience to like see all these animals swimming around but um my question to Seville was why don't any of the animals ever eat one another in in that space uh she found that question to be stupid Uh, (laughs) to her it was obvious that they just choose animals that don't want to eat the other animals in there I was like wouldn't those sharks eat like yeah. everything <laughs> yeah. uh, but I guess that speaks to uh, both my sense of the wildness of the thing and also to the uh, the relative uh, domesticated nature of of that environment um, but it is yeah it's cool to see I'll, I'll leave it at that. Hmm. Yeah, that prompts, prompts some fun thoughts. Josh? I don't feel like that's a dumb question. I can see that. Being, there's a legitimate answer to that beyond just they choose fish that don't eat each other. All right, my wild moment. So we got a dog a couple of weeks ago, another dog, a puppy. And um, I took both of my dogs for a run this weekend, or a couple runs this weekend. And the puppy is just like nuts and so I just I kind of felt like a pack of wolves just like <laughs> running <laughs> I mean she's like so scatterbrained like she chases after every single rabbit Riley wants to chase after every single rabbit but she knows better and so yeah it was just like different tiers of wildness like domesticated kind of domesticated but like instincts are to chase every animal and then one just like I want to eat every rabbit so yeah that was fun Tess, our new puppy, we didn't name, we inherited the name. Um, yeah, she's a she's an interesting pup. She's really cute, but she's a lot of work. So, yeah, that's my wild moment. I'm sure there's going to be many more wild moments. And also, there's going to be some background noise because I have my two kids watching Lion Guard. So if I go off camera or I don't respond to something, it's because I'm getting them a snack or helping manage the kiddos this morning.
Yeah, every moment's kind of a wild moment in those scenarios with two kids running around watching Lion Guard. Yeah. I ran my first half this weekend. Not a race or anything, just on my own in the woods with my watch telling me how far I've run. And it was pretty awesome. Love it. I, if you would have told me last year I was going to run a half marathon this year, I would have probably thought you were crazy. And I think I'm about to run one a week for the next four or five weeks, uh, at least a half. Uh, I'll, I'll be up above that getting closer to Colorado. And that feels nuts to me. It really feels nuts that that is a reality that was possible just from, I mean, I think often about why that's possible this year, right? Because if I were to invite somebody to do something similar, it's like, well, how, like the how question is always intriguing to me. It's like, how do you run an ultra marathon or how do you? run a marathon or how do you run a business how do you have a successful family like what how do you do those things and currently I'm sure I'll have more and more reflections the further we get away from this deal into the future but it seems as though the invitation and to do something big and the belief in others the belief that others had in me to actually do that thing are the two most impactful pieces of that so invitation and belief i was invited to do something big and then somebody actually believed that i could do it other than myself a question for you yes if you if you think if we didn't meet weekly or check in do you think where where does that like where does the community aspect and the fact that we're all um, kind of checking in on a daily, weekly basis. How do you think that plays into it? I think it's pretty great, particularly when we did Wild 32, at which I know we're about to start up again in a few days. And I'm excited about that. These weekly check-ins are nice. Ultimately, what's keeping me running and spending time in the woods for miles at a time right now is probably a little bit of fear of failure and looking like a dumbass in the woods where uh the stakes are somewhat high like you got to keep moving man so i think that plays a bigger role at the moment yeah. Uh, yeah. but also there's a there's a part of that where i think i i might quit if we weren't meeting weekly and if i wasn't sharing my progress with you both of you and getting feedback like yeah we think you can still do it because i there's there's a part of me that's fearful like we'll get out there and at some point i'm just not going to be able to keep moving forward and that's i think why i'm on the trail for what i consider a lot of miles and it won't you know i'm increasing uh gradually there but yeah, yeah there's a, there's an aspect of fear and not looking like yeah. a dumbass and then getting the encouragement weekly that i'm on track or at least you're not like hey we need to change this thing you're not saying that yet maybe that's the case that 
we will change it leading up to it but no. yeah if that, if that makes sense that is what it is yeah that, that's pretty motivating yeah so I, I, it's pretty awesome yeah i find it uh like when you were sharing that yeah i get like little tingles on my arms like just like inspiring like that you've never run a marathon that's jack he wants to watch another lion guard nice <laughs> and he's gonna get to watch another episode of lion guard but yeah <laughs> just like the fact that that's never happened before and now you're gonna do that same thing that you've never done before over and over and over again and then do that same thing you've never done before just did three times in a day right <laughs> or you know two and a half times like that's really really inspiring it's pretty cool so today we're talking about men's rites of passage, which is a part of what unrationed, it may, maybe is the most unrationed part of Wilds in the Woods is a, is a men's rite of passage. So I think the best place to start here would be to define maybe collectively or individually share what we think a rite of passage is in and then move into maybe why we think it's important and then maybe even move into why we think it's important that we do this. So those maybe three phases, what is it? Why are they important just in general? And then why do we feel that it's important that we do this as a part of wilds in the woods? I feel like you may have the best answer as to what a rite of passage is. Evan. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll take a first stab at it then. I'm curious to see if I have the best answer because it is something I, I continually think about and I don't know that I have a 100% a confidence in my answer. So I, I'll share what I think it is right now. And I, I do hope that it actually evolves as we do this and my definition of it changes over time. So from what I've read and what I've experienced, it seems as though there's three really, really critical pieces of rites of passage. And I've talked about thresholds several times. I probably will continue talking about thresholds because uh, I'm really enjoying thinking about them and using them as a map to kind of navigate how life goes. But there are three phases, orientation, disorientation, reorientation. And I, I think a men's rite of passage guides men to a place of disorientation where it's an individual's choice to maybe continue on that road of disorientation or that path of disorientation and navigate it and what it takes to navigate a, a, a disorienting experience are the things that we are hoping to, or that any rite of passage hopes to bring to the surface uh, within the man, because it seems as though positive moral and ethics, positive morals and ethics are what get people through disorientation healthy on the other side of a disorientation so we've talked about being men of integrity uh men who tell the truth men who act uh rightly uh, take right action and it seems as though times of disorientation maybe get us to the place where 
we learn the importance of those things. And then there's this reorientation or, or reintegration on the other side of it that, that seems very important where it's you take those things that you learned in the time of disorientation and apply them to everyday life, everyday relationships on the other side. So I I would say a, a men's rite of passage consists of three phases. There's an orientation, there's a disorientation, there's a reorientation. And those three are important because it brings to the surface from within the things that we are saying great men embody. Is that too complex of a definition? I well, it's I guess the short answer is I'm not sure it was a definition of what a <laughs> rite of passage is. I think Fair. you described the mechanics of how how we're thinking about the process of undergoing it. Um, okay, I, let me take, take a stab at a definition then. It's a time of separation where men un, where, where man undergoes something strenuous to some extent, whether that's emotional, mental, physical, and then returns home. Uh, a, an experience where a man undergoes something strenuous and then returns home. Yeah, I mean, that, that sounds pretty good. I, when I think about, oh, and now I've got a couple of kids coming in here. Uh, Just, yeah, bring, bring them all in, man. <laughs> we got, we got, oh, What's hello, up? hello, everybody. <laughs> hi. You want to say hi to Josh and Evan? Hi there. Are, are you picking your sister? No, uh, do you want to come say hi? She's too heavy. Yeah. No one no got jealous. He wants to say hi too. What's oh. up, Noah? This, this is just you guys, a kid. A kid you talk. leaving now? Can say hi to Mr. Evan and Mr. Tony? Will you close the door, buddy? No, I'll, I'll close the door. Don't you worry about it. <laughs> There are no adults in sight. I wonder what my kids are doing. <laughs> so when I when I think about rites of passage, all those things you're saying are are spot on and really essential. And I'm I'm thinking about it very simply as a an experience that happens in the context of a community. Uh, a tribe, a family, whereby a person goes from one stage to a new stage of life. And in, in the course of our lives, we can have you know, a number of rites of passage, right? And um, some of them can be more explicitly stated than others, um, but it's this uh, is ritualized mm -hmm. way of signaling you know, in the way that like a, a bar mitzvah would be a rite of, pa of passage, right? Or um, 
you know, in the Catholic context, I, I think we were, raised, you know, Josh and I were being raised Catholic, um, you know, things like First Communion or, you know, like there are the sacraments that when you do those sort of rites of passage. Um, yeah, that's, and then, but you had, you had framed it specifically for men. And that's, um, hmm. that's a trickier proposition uh, for me in terms of like what, what we think of those as being. Uh, but Josh, do you have other thoughts on what a rite of passage is? Well, when I was thinking about it, I wasn't necessarily processing just rites of passage in general. I was thinking about unration specifically or just male rites of passage. And I get stuck on the like men coming together to intentionally beat the savage out of us. <laughs> like, and so that's, you know. Uh, Define the but, savage. Like we've used this term kind of, uh, uh, there's a difference between a savage man and a wild man. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'm going to use an ex a real life example the other day that I was not happy with. Um, I was annoyed with Tess, our new dog. You know, she like peed on the carpet and, you know, pooped on the carpet. And I got frustrated with her and kind of like put my hand on her neck and like kind of pinned her down. I was like, no. And after I'm like, right, that's using brute force. And like, I should have more control over that, right? That's savagery as opposed to a wild man that, you know, knows how to like you said, like act rightly in that situation. I can control my frustration, my anger a little bit more. And so there's an element of these rites of passage that help us purge the things that are not right, that are not ordered, that are not um, uh, warm yet demanding. Um, and so I think there's these moments in time that they, to, to Tony's point, it needs to be a clear delineation between I was at this stage and now I'm moving beyond to something else um but well and we're doing all this in the context of what we're understanding as a culture that lacks proper rites of passage right? proper initiatory <clears throat> rituals or uh, experiences right so josh the only reason you're like that is because you haven't had enough proper rites of passage that's that's right it's not my fault <laughs> yeah evan so you would you had talked about three things mm -hmm. you would you would what is it and then what were the other two questions why is it important yes why why a rite of passage is important which i think we touched on it yeah. i I did have a question before that. There's a lot to unpack in everything that we just said. And it's worth noting that I think in the next couple of months, we probably should be aligned on a clear answer to these things, like have it written down and not saying that our answer is the answer, but it is what what we orient ourselves to, what we believe this is, how we define it, and that guides our decision making in putting these rite of passages, rites of passage together, because I, what I struggle with or or wrestle with 
conceptually is the idea that in for unrationed specifically i do think it's possible that a man shows up and undergoes a rite of passage and doesn't leave changed so there's a there's a certain amount of responsibility on the man who is showing up and i don't know where to place that in what we're talking about because that's not the case with rites of passage historically like it for a for a bar mitzvah or for a first communion or or a confirmation of sorts or you know it's like it was done to the boy and the boy became a man through that i i'm unfamiliar with stories where a rite of passage was performed ritually and the boy remained a boy on the other side of it but i think that there has that has to be the case right like rites of passage are leading an individual to a place where transformation happens within through this ritual element through this experience of disorientation and reorientation but there has to be times and that doesn't work so i'm 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 having trouble just conceptually saying what unrationed is because it, to promise somebody something like to say you're going to leave a man is a big promise like and, and should be taken seriously so how do how do we how do i uh get that to a place where i have a better understanding of of how this works well our starting point with this project wasn't uh, a particular thing. It was the lack of a thing. Right? Yeah. What, what brought the three of us together around this idea was this acute sense of loss or lack from having come of age in a society that has lost all ability to coherently guide its young people into adulthood. So when you, so when I bring up the, the sacraments from my childhood, those are in some ways, I, I think they are intended to be rites of passage, but they're not. Is for most of those kids, you're just going through the motions, right? You are, you're led through it, but there's not really any thought and you're not actually different on the other, uh, on the other side of it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's specifically the problem is that, you know, for me, those are the things that come to mind as the closest things I have to rites of passage experience for the most part. Uh, and they are woefully insufficient for what that role has uh, historically been for human beings, where uh, yeah, we just, we don't do it. So like, why is that important? It seems, well, it's, it's kind of hard to pinpoint how we would be different had we come of age in a society that had a sense of how to do this, right? Like there's, all, all it's a counterfactual that we can't actually know right so hmm. i but for me so there is this question of as you were articulating evan 
what is it we're hoping to provide for ourselves and then also for other men in the wilds and the woods and through unrationed experiences. Um, and I, I, I'm optimistic that this is going to work in the sense that I, if we do this right, nobody who joins us is going to be going through the motions, right? Everybody's going to come with a level of intentionality and seriousness um, that then when faced with this intense experience an intensive experience of like being immersed in a, a liminal space, you know, crossing the threshold into where change can happen. Mm -hmm. I, I really like our chances. Uh, another reason I think it matters is simply because as parents and as fathers raising you know, children, both daughters and sons, um, I really want something better for my children in this respect. I want my children to have some sense of uh, growing up in a way that, that we need to essentially design what these rites of passage or initiatory rites can look like in yeah. a society that just doesn't have them. It's just totally ill-equipped to, um, you know, to help our children make sense of an increasingly chaotic world, it seems. Yeah. So uh, as you were talking about all that, I was thinking about Moana for one reason or another. I think uh, the film does a good job of showing like a, a coming of age rite of passage. And it seems as though Moana's father keeps her from what he perceives as dangerous. And actually like in the montage uh, where she grows up on the island, there are rituals being performed. Like she gets the headdress, which would be a ritual. She's learning the native dances, which would be a ritual. And so she's going through the rituals that I would say are rites of passage in that culture. And, and maybe that's incorrect, but uh, seemingly with, with my current knowledge, I would consider those rites of passages. So then those were all in preparation for the real rite of passage it seems, which was leaving the island and experiencing a true disorientation. So I agree with everything you said. And then I'm also like, I don't know that it's the institution's job, whether it be the church or us for like, it seems as though what we're doing is more prepping men for the actual rite of passage. Like, doing a test run for one that comes in life like life will throw us into disorientation at one time or another mm. and the three of us have actually only experienced a rite of passage in that way thus far mm. the one that's actually changed us so we have stories of orientation disorientation and reorientation very specific ones that i think we've shared on this podcast that we look to and say, oh my gosh, I am a different person after that happened. 
And what we're trying to do, this is more a question than a statement, is create an environment where we learn how to navigate those times of disorientation in life after we've come home from an unrationed event. And then once we engage with that in life after an unrationed event, I mean, I guess that's the test of whether we're changed or not. Uh, just one more point based on what you're saying there that's coming clear is the distinction between ritual and rite of passage. Okay. Where I, it seems like maybe when I think about a lot of the closest things that could be considered rites of passage in my own life, it's a confusion. Uh, it's confusing the rite of passage, which is that process of being oriented, getting disoriented, exploring that, then returning. Um, I'm, I'm confusing that with ritual, which is mm. simply a ceremonial moment in time. So like our unrationed retreats are, yeah. are going to have an element of ritual, but that element of ritual is a small subset of the overarching experience, right? That the rite yeah. of passage is, is that whole um, trajectory, that whole loop of going out, coming back. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, that's where the, that's where the magic happens. And I think you're spot on that it's, it, it and frankly, maybe this highlights why the lack of rites of passage is such a problem as we grow up and maybe leads to states of prolonged adolescence or arrested development, uh, a show I just revisited and had a great time with. But, um, but that when we don't challenge ourselves in that way, or when we aren't challenged, you know, like put in that, those situations, um, there's a risk of staying small or that the world stays small or that we, we learn that we should stay safe, that we should stay comfortable. When and then we should reality, fight for that. Yeah, exactly. When in reality, yeah. what we need to be fighting for is to be more adaptable and stronger and more resilient yeah. in a way that we'll be able to navigate whatever comes. Yeah, that's spot on. I really like that. Why is it important Josh, that we do unrationed? Yeah, Josh, do you have any thoughts on that? And then why is it important that we're doing this? Like, why the three of us? So I tackle the last question. Part of it, too, is that... One second. I'll, I'll let Tony tackle that last question. <laughs> I think I, I did with the... I mean, I do think that it's a... For me now, it's as a father, you know, of really wanting to figure this out to help my children. Because in my own life, I do think that that lack of guidance led me to some dark places, uh, largely self-inflicted, where I did not learn humility uh, growing up. You know, like I, I did have a sense of entitlement that was really unhealthy and unproductive. Uh, and I needed to 
get my ass kicked in various ways, literally, figuratively, spiritually, um, before I started to understand that I had been doing it all wrong. And it wasn't by design. It was because it had to happen, right? Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, if it was by design, it was by my own design. Well, um, life, <laughs> I think life is designed in such a way that won't allow us. Uh, yeah, it, it, like life is was, a big rite of passage. <laughs> sure, yeah, so, but the yeah, way yeah. I was careening, there were going to be consequences, right? It's um, right. karma. Right. Uh, yeah, I was, I eventually started reaping what I was sowing in, in a way that became very disorienting. Uh, and then realized I was on a different trajectory, a much better one. And then that was 12 years ago, you know, coming to terms with my alcoholism and the consequences of that, um, where then over the last decade, really, I do see my life as largely just a series of, of those periods of orientation, disorientation, reorientation, you're, you're describing, right? where that's been my primary learning mechanism and mechanism for growth. That's why I think it matters. Josh, you're really pondering. I am pondering. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I think I'm right there with you in terms of my primary motivation being, you know, I have two sons <clears throat> and, setting the path a trajectory for them you know I think the thing that we're all missing that I feel like I, I really admire like my grandfathers and my dad like there's been a lot of like stories of just like people who did things right <clears throat> and so I can like draw on those stories and so there's an element that that we miss in our society where we think every dude needs to be perfect who's a hero um you know, and, and we, we don't realize that, like, we're gonna make bad decisions as human beings. We're gonna make decisions, even if we go through a rite of passage that we're not proud of, we're not happy about. Um, it doesn't make us feel like we're living up to our potential, but it's this rite of passage, specifically, you know, what we're talking about here that I think gives us our own story. It gives us the story of those around us to help persevering to help learn you know to help keep us learning to put putting one foot in front of the other um and those are the stories that I want to tell my kids about Tony and Evan on the trail when they saw adversity you know little things like that that it's going to inspire me to be better but it's going to give me something that is a different orientation outside of dad um you know for my sons to be able to talk about you know so as much as I want to feel and go through the, you know, the suffering, whatever it is, the breaking down of one's ego. Um, I want to watch somebody else go through the same thing mm. because it, it'll contextualize what I'm going through. You know, I'll be able to see, um, uh, see that manifested in somebody else and see the battles that they're going through. So um, yeah, I think, yeah, just that overall symbolism in the event is what I hope to somehow bottle up and communicate effectively um, to, to have teaching moments for my sons until they are ready for that moment for themselves. Thanks for listening to the Unrationed Podcast.
you'd like to find out more about an unrationed event and journey with us on a men's rite of passage. Wildsinthewoods.com. <laughs>